Welcome to Figuring Out Families by Magellan Media, where we make families the best they can be. In this series of Figuring Out Families that we are calling The Parenting Sessions, we speak to leading experts to give practical, real-world advice to help you grow healthy, well-balanced children and make your life as a parent or grandparent a little easier. I'm David Ahern. I hope you enjoy. It's my pleasure to welcome back Rachel Schofield, a mother of two children. Rachel is a parent coach and professional member of the Australian Association of Family Therapists. Hello, Rachel. Good to talk to you again. Yeah, great to be back, David. In this session now, we're looking at specific situations when things aren't totally hunky-dory at home. Uh, tell, tell me a bit about that. Um, okay, so there are all sorts of situations that can come up where um, siblings aren't getting along great. And a general principle is like the earlier you move in, the better. And as parents, we often shy away from doing that because it can feel like a lot of effort. It can be hard work to try and make things go a little bit better. And so we let our kids kind of grumble away to each other in the background and the tension builds. Um, yeah, so that's my overall principle is move in early at the first sign of things not starting to work very well. Okay, well, that sort of answers half of my first question. So you can't avoid tension in the family. We all know that, and every family has tensions from time to time, whether it be parents or between siblings. Um, issues arise. It's just the way of the world. I guess, as you said, nipping an issue in the bud quickly, though, is the best possible outcome. You don't want things to fester, do you? No, no, you don't. And as as parents, we're sort of we have a very optimistic streak in us <laughs> when things aren't going so well, yeah. and that, you know, like we kind of hope that it's not going to happen this time, or we hope that it'll just sort itself out. And and sometimes kids do sort things out by themselves, and they do that when they're thinking, actually thinking pretty well, and there's just a little bit of disagreement, but they can figure it out. But other times what's going on is there's some underlying emotional tension and that's when they really need our help. That's when they need us to, to move in and support them. And, and we'll talk more about that as we go through our podcast today. Sure. So, so what strategies uh, would you recommend here? Yeah. Okay. So we've, we've really touched upon the kind of basic principles in, in the earlier podcasts that we did, but a really good guiding principle is that all the strategies that I talk about build connection and make space for feelings. So if if listeners haven't listened to the first two podcasts, I really encourage them to go back and, and listen to them because it'll explain all of that in much more detail and explain why that works. But in a nutshell, when there's niggly tension between our kids that they can't figure out, really that's um, a cry for help. It's like they're waving a red flag for help. Um, and when kids are feeling okay, they can get along really easily with their siblings. They can be caring and thoughtful and flexible. But when they've lost a sense of connection or they're full to the brim with feelings, that's what stops them getting along well with their brothers and sisters. So all the strategies that I talk about are around filling up a kid's need for connection, allowing space to offload emotional tension. And when we do that, when we give meet those needs in kids they are they can be really smart at figuring out conflict without too much guidance and sometimes they're so creative with the solutions that they come up with but if they're feeling 
if they're really, if their brain's swamped with feelings, then they can't even access their thinking brain to kind of get to that smart part of themselves to work things out. Um, and we'll dive into really specific strategies as we go through this, um, through this episode. Sure. And I imagine it's age specific. I mean, young children would fight over the silliest things, but the older you get, um, the arguments would uh, move to other areas. Um, so what leads to disagreements among siblings? A very general question, I guess. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's kind of it's almost like the opposite of you know the the previous question, and and like you said, like disagreements can arise over all sorts of situations. So yeah, it like might be toys with younger kids, it might be access to screens and phones with older kids, but the underlying issue is exactly the same. And so you know, primarily there's a need, some sort of need that's not being met, and the siblings the really good dumping ground for your, for showing. sort of showing people that you're not feeling good um so there's an unmet need the the child your child is full of emotional tension and they need that top-up connection and basically their system's out of balance they're really out of balance they can't think and the way that shows up is in just doing unworkable nutty behavior and picking on your sibling is just really easy place to dump all that stuff yeah, I guess that would be a telltale sign too. If, uh, one sibling was just picking on the other over silly, silly things, and it was constant. You know, there's a problem. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, sometimes it can be just like that. Yeah. Okay. Now, Rachel, off air, you've talked about acute problems versus chronic problems. Uh, perhaps you could explain that a little more. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've kind of like touched on it a little bit there, is in that you know. So sometimes the situations when our kids are squabbling fighting or there's just tension between them it's just kind of a one-off like generally the relationship's pretty good but you know they're just having this one particular time that day the next day when things aren't going well and you can just kind of move in with some of the strategies that I'm going to outline um, later on and that'll solve it and they'll be back to having a pretty amicable relationship but other times there can be this chronic pattern where there's um just a background tension in the relationship on an ongoing basis where it's really hard for the siblings even say to be in the same room as each other like the mere side of their sibling can be enough to set off tension and, and you've got a really entrenched pattern then that just needs a more concerted effort and it needs a longer it you you can't tackle it in one day but you can solve it and you can change it with really similar, really similar approach in that you want to reach in with connection, you want to make space for feelings, and you need to deal with your own triggers. And you keep doing that day in, day out, week in, week out. Uh, by the time you've got to two months, you will see big changes in the dynamic. Right. I can imagine uh, getting to the chronic problem stage. That would be something, an issue that's festered over many, many months or not necessarily. Yeah, yeah, it can be. It it can be. Yes, it can be. It's usually something that's not been dealt with, or it might just be some big change in a child's life that has means that they're carrying so much, and their sibling is the target of of the emotional tension that they're feeling inside. So, it, you know, it may have been a sudden change in their lives, or it might just been a build up of tension that's not been um, dealt with. Okay, and. Um... You know, there is grumpiness and that's one thing, but uh, aggression between siblings, and I imagine that comes out of the chronic problem stage, um, 
that's not good, especially if it's ongoing and especially if it leads to any sort of physical violence. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. And in every single family where there's one more than one child, there will be physical fighting between kids. Like that is what happens. We don't want it to happen. We don't want it happening on a chronic basis. And it's absolutely our job to move in and stop it. But I wouldn't want anyone feeling like <laughs> there's no. something wrong with their family if their kids are physically fighting. Um, every, yeah. Everybody deals with that. Um, but also like that, even just that background grumpiness can be, um, you know, if it's ongoing, that's an issue too. Like if, if every time your brother, you know, comes into the room, they're displeased to see you, even if it's not full on aggression, that's quite grating. That's, that's like, that, that isn't great. So whether it's really overt, like physical fighting or whether it's more of a kind of just background emotional tone, I think both situations are really important. Um, I've got some strategies to help with this. Shall I run through them? Uh, yeah, abs absolutely. Yeah, why not? Okay. All right. So the first thing I think is when you've got kind of aggression, um, sorry, when there's like tension between your kids and maybe they're having a squabble over something, the focus, re uh, the best thing for you to do is to focus on repair. Like a, a good rule of thumb is not to worry too much about what actually happened, but to focus on bringing the whole thing to making amends and, and repair of the situation, but not rushing that too much so that you've still got space for kids to have a good cry or to offload whatever feelings they've got, but you're moving away from trying to get to the truth of what happened. You're just like trying to move it to a solution. And one really smart way of doing this, and this works for kids like under about the age of 12, is to use a strategy of saying, I'm sorry I didn't get here in time. I'm sorry I didn't get here in time. So your kids are fighting. You're like, oh, damn, I missed it. You get in there rather than like saying, what happened? Which is all of our kind of like knee-jerk reactions to these situations. Yeah. Just get in between your kids. I'm sorry I didn't get here in time. And you're just shifting the whole, whole tone of what's happening away from blame to solving the situation and and it's kind of the truth like we know from the last two episodes that we did kids really need an adult to anchor them they need an adult they need to have that sense of connection to an adult they need that anchor and so your kids were likely giving off pretty loud signals that they weren't getting along so well like before the moment they got into that fight and so really you did miss the, those signals and you probably could have moved in earlier to, to dissipate the situation. Um, so you kind of missed it. So there's a real truth in what you're saying, like, I'm sorry I didn't get here in time. And at that point, you might have kids that are crying. You might have kids that just need a cuddle. Like, you can take it from there, but you're totally out of blaming, about, you know, the blame situation of what happened. Sure. Um, yeah, so if your kids are kind of maybe they've got into a physical scuffle and they're hitting and biting each other or whatever, the first thing to remember is that any aggression is indicative of painful feelings. Like all behavior is that's fueled by emotions. And when underneath aggression is there's always some there's some fear or some really deep hurt that's that's coming out in this unworkable way, but that's what's underneath it. And so we can move in and, and bring a limit and stop that. But again, we can do this in a really warm way. Like there doesn't need to be any blaming or you should know better than that. And 
This isn't a moment for teaching lessons because when kids are like that, they're completely flooded with feelings. They can't learn anything. And all we need, and, and they don't need to learn anything because they already know it's wrong. Like kids are smart. They already know it's not okay. So all they need us to do is to move in and stop them. They don't actually want to be hurting their brother or sister. They actually will yeah. feel bad about it afterwards. So we move in. We say, I can't let you do that. And you physically put your hand out to stop the kicking leg or the lashing arm or whatever it is. And you just take it slowly and you stop what's happening. Yeah, just um, resolve the issue as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah. And, and like it takes you being there. Like we have this way of like being hopeful that we can just call across the room, hey, stop. <laughs> but, you know, that rarely works. <laughs> True. Yeah. So we, we need to get in there. And and if a kid, like sometimes the aggression isn't sort of too, um, oh, too sort of, it's kind of a, they might be kicking, but there's a little bit of room for play. Like sometimes kids can actually cope with you being playful, even though they're feeling a bit angry. And so you can move in and you can kind of pull the aggression onto you in a playful way by going, oh, here comes another kick. Um, see if I can kiss that foot. Oh, here comes a punchy arm. I wonder if I can kiss the, the arm. And it can quite easily turn to giggles, like if you can get into that playful spot. So, so that's another way of physically moving in. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And um, mean, sorry, keep yeah. going. Oh, yeah, I've got a few more. <laughs> yeah, go for it. Go for it. Okay. So, um, yeah. So, in that situation where you've got kids lashing out, like both the aggressor and the victim need your help. And obviously, like our knee jerk reaction is to support the victim, and the victim clearly needs support, but the aggressor needs your help too. And it's really important to remember that, that they need us, they need our connection and warmth, they need space to to offload the feelings and usually some when a kid's being aggressive somewhere underneath there are tears underneath that aggression and um sometimes we can just move in warmly with the limit and those tears will come out other times it takes a little bit more time like you know it might take a few weeks to get to a point where a kid can actually cry instead of being aggressive but the tears are there um, I've got another good strategy for you around often squabbles can be around like who's, you know, somebody taking a toy that the other person's playing with and, you know, it's about taking turns. And the thing to remember here is kids from a very, very young age already get taking turns. They, they understand the concept. And so when they're just grabbing a toy, it's because they can't think that well. And they're just doing this impulsively. And so they need an adult to help them feel okay so that they can wait. And so what you can do is, is just move in and say, I'll wait with you. Like, I'll, I'll be here whilst you wait. And let the other kid play with the toy. And you just, you be with the other child. So you might play with them. You might just have them sit on your lap with a cuddle. Um, it can even be you can wait with me until they're done with the toy. And you're giving them connection. And if that kid's got a, it's feeling upset and actually needs to have a bit of a cry, you're also off offering them that opportunity because you're there. And if they need to have a cry and just get all of that out, then they can do that too. Um, yeah, no, that makes sense. You're providing a safe environment at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're not it's sort of giving up on the expectation that they actually might be able to wait by themselves. Like this sort of, we really under, underestimate the power of connection, but sometimes your presence is just enough to change the whole situation. Um, so I've got another one, which is like on, we were, you know, talking about grumpiness and like 
that situation where sometimes a child simply, you know, cannot stand the sight of their sibling. <laughs> yep, I, re- I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like their sibling walks in the room and that just sets off a whole like firework of emotions from everyone because like it's just like this tension, tension, tension. Um, or there just might be, you know, it might be a big explosion, it might be snipe comments, or it just might be a, this real a real tension, just this emotional tension around around this sibling. And this can show up at absolutely any age, and it's particularly common as um, kids enter puberty and into the teenage years if they have younger siblings because their younger siblings look like they're having such a much easier time. Like they still get to play easily. They don't have to worry about their studies. They don't have to worry about the state of the world. And, And also because teenagers are becoming an adult and they start to really take on the seriousness and more complicated sides of life. And that's that's quite a hard thing to process and and that reality is that absolute odds with their ability to play freely and so seeing their younger sibling playing freely and easily just can stir up all these feelings that inside the teenager that then get dumped on their their, their younger sibling because their younger sibling just doesn't have to deal with all of that and my favorite strategy for helping Older children, like this can work. I mean, it can work with any age, but I think eight upwards is really good. Sure. Is to um, offer them gripe time. So you give them, say, 10 minutes a day or five minutes a day where you take them off somewhere where no one else can hear. So maybe you go and sit in the car with the doors shut so no one can hear. And you say, okay, you've got 10 minutes of my time. Tell me everything that bugs you about your brother. Tell me everything that bugs you about your sister. And you just let them go and you don't worry about what they say. They can say whatever it is they want to say. They can say the most outrageous things if that's what they need to get out. And you could even get, you can even get a notepad and start noting them down. Like, okay, is there anything else? (laughs) (laughs) What else would you like to say? Long, long list. (laughs) And what this is like, you're just providing a safe space for that child to get out all their grumbles. And you're doing it without judgment. You're doing it knowing that underneath they truly love their sibling. Like they absolutely adore their sibling and they would, they want nothing more in reality than to get on with them. But there's all this stuff on top that's getting in the way. Um, and you can sort of even help them symbolically process it by like saying, okay, here's the bit of paper. What do you want to do with it? And, you know, kids might want to rip it up or they might want to burn it or just screw it up and put it in the bin. And that's, helping them symbolically be rid of it all, like getting, getting, just like throwing it all away. Um, and if you've got younger kids, you can do a similar thing, but you can use the um, symbolic play that I mentioned in an earlier episode where they kind of act things back. So go, I think, to the second episode we did and I, I talk about symbolic play in that one. Yeah, um, indeed. Yeah. So if you do that gripe time, what's really good about it is if you're doing that regularly, like if you can do that most days, you're going to find it so much easier to move in when that child's been grumpy and actually set a limit because you've given them a space to get those feelings out. So it's going to be easier for them to pull back and stop being grumpy when when you ask them at other times. Okay. Uh, And speaking of grumpy, and I mean, uh, parents out there would know, especially if you've got a few children, 
Um, a child can complain and often will if they're not being treated fairly or they perceive that they're not being treated fairly. You know, a child is allowed to have a friend over to play while the younger one isn't or because of the age difference, uh, one child has to go to bed earlier and I, I had brothers who were five, six years older than me so I certainly remember that and you know, being told to go to bed at 8.30 and they were allowed to stay up till 10 or 10.30. It was the cause of a few issues, let me tell you. Um, these sort of scenarios, uh, a lot of parents would be familiar with, uh, Rachel, no doubt. Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely. Like, I think, yeah, in every family this happens and exactly what you've just outlined. Um, children have this passionate, inbuilt sense of fairness, like life should be fair and, and wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Um, wouldn't it be beautiful if life was fair? So, but life isn't, and kids regularly bump into it. They regularly bump into all the places where things aren't fair, and they get passionately upset about it. And as parents, we can find ourselves sort of trying to fix it, like trying to make things fair. And and really, it's, it's sometimes me. I mean, we might want to do that, like that might be a good idea. But often, that's not really the most helpful thing. Often, there are just there just are situations where, yeah, like you said, like a, a sibling might go to bed later or that some kid gets to do something that the other kid doesn't. And kids need support in, in being able to cope with the reality that that's how life is. And so you can just really listen to your child when they're like, that's not fair. It's that you can acknowledge it. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sorry you didn't get to have a turn. I'm sorry you didn't get to do that. Um, I know you've brother goes to bed later than you do that that's I'm sorry that's how it is and that might be enough for a kid to feel to actually get beyond the words and be able to cry about the upset or to just have just let out the actual emotions to actually feel the emotions that they're feeling about the situation and we know that when kids can be rid of that emotional tension it helps them feel better it helps them heal from the hurt that they've got there um, and it helps them process like all the times that life is unfair. Yeah, exactly right and it is hard um, to try and to explain to a younger child why they have to go to bed earlier or why they can't go to a party with their older siblings or whatever because they just see it from their own point of view and they think they know everything of course at that age. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Absolutely. And what you can do is that you can just have ongoing messages that you say, you know, at times where it's appropriate, at times where kids are in a good enough state, they can actually hear what you're saying, that really point out that the different opportunities and responsibilities that kids have. So as a a child gets older, they, they can naturally do more things. They naturally have more independence. And we can balance that out by adding responsibilities. So, you know, a child might be old enough to go by that and to their friend's house by themselves for the first time um and the but so maybe they also have to take on some responsibility like whoa and now you're at the age where you need to empty the kitchen bin every morning so that it's kind of balanced out yeah yeah and it can work the other way around like younger kids can do stuff that older kids can so you can get a young child and throw them up in the air and they might really enjoy that but you just cannot do that with your 15 year old (laughs) no exactly right now Rachel uh, one child monopolizing a parent's attention can also lead to problems uh, looking to be mummy or daddy's favorite and some children are better at playing this game than others Uh, does that happen a lot in uh, families do you think yeah absolutely it's a really really common 
situation where um, a child will monopolize one parent's or both parents' attention. I, I think it's not quite as simple as looking to be the favorite child. It's it's more a symptom of some underlying issue that that child has. Like often it's around anxiety. And they're, what they're trying to do is they're trying really hard to get their needs met. And the way they're doing that is by monopolizing their parents' attention. So it might be through clinginess or it might be just by having really difficult behavior all the time that their parents have to deal with. And it kind of fills the whole family. But underneath either the clinginess or the difficult behavior are, are frozen, frozen feelings that are stopping them feeling relaxed and confident. And that's what they need support with. Yeah, no, that, that sounds like good advice. Uh, before we recap uh, today's podcast, anything else you'd like to add, Rachel, at this stage? Oh, yes. I, um, yeah, I've got a little bit more actually. Oh, to good. Say Go for it. On that one. <laughs> I think, anyway. Um, okay. So the other thing to really realize that, that if you've got a kid who's um, demanding of attention, then it's a long range project. It's something that's like going to take you a few months to make inroads on, but you can absolutely do it. And, and first of all, you want to proactively reach in with connection, particularly through doing one on one time and playing with them. Um, and then you want to balance that. You need to set that up first and then you want to move in with setting limits early in a way that allows them to pour out any feelings that they're holding, like the feelings that are causing them to be clinging, causing them to be demanding. And bit by bit, your child will become less, less needy. They will still have passionate, you know, they will still show times of being clingy or demanding, but you'll see more and more relaxed moments in between. Um, and it's also important to think about the other children um, because they're kind of flying under the radar. So I think it's really, really helpful to verbalize what's going on. And you can do this even with really young kids. There's, there's nothing like getting stuff out in the open. So just saying, like just naming the dynamic. It's like, I know your brother takes up a lot of my time. It takes up a lot of your dad's time. Um, we're, we're working on it and we love you ever so much. And just giving those messages can really, really help and making sure that the children that are sort of in the background are getting some regular one-on-one -on -one time with you, even if that's very short amounts of one-on-one -on -one time. It, it's even five minutes with you one-on-one -on -one can go so far with a child. It's really, really a powerful thing just to have some one-on-one -on -one time with you. And for a kid that sometimes a child like flies under the radar so much that you they seem like they're completely fine, but you realize that you don't really have that much to do with them. They just, they do everything right. They are compliant, cooperative, helpful, but there's probably a sense of slight emotional distance with them, even though they're functioning really well. So you, you might want to just think around it, is one of my kids like that? And you have, if you've got a kid like that, you have to make a huge effort to consciously reach into them, like reach into them and be with them and hang out with them so that they can really feel your connection. Because sometimes if you've got a child that's demanding a parent's attention, like all the other kids have to put their needs like on the, on the back burner, like they have because there isn't room for them. And so you want to make sure that all your kids have space to be able to bring up any struggles that they have. Yeah, no, that's a good point because uh, some children are more needy than others and some, uh, they do fly under the radar and 
I think that's a good point that parents should be aware of that. Their, their needs are probably just as great, but they might not show them uh, as often. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Okay. Uh, Rachel, a fascinating podcast. To recap some of the main points from today's podcast that people can take with them. Yeah, yeah, happily do that. And first, I um, just want to throw in a challenge that I have for your listeners, which is so after listening to this podcast, what I'd love you to reflect upon over the next few days is notice, do, do you have a kid who's a squeaky wheel in your family, like one who's very needy of attention? Um, just track and see what's happening. And if you do, like what what precipitates their challenging behavior? So when are they clingy? When are they demanding of attention? When are they, you know, what are they doing? Like, see so if you can pinpoint times in the day or situations where they're particularly needy. And, and then the opposite, like think about, do you have a child that flies under the radar? Like think about that. What do you notice about them? And if you'd like to um, recap on all the points I've covered. I have a guide and workbook that you that goes with this whole series on siblings that you can download from my website, which is rachelscofield.com forward slash siblings. And it gives you a workbook so that you can kind of unpack some of the dynamics and, and start make start really solving any challenges you've got with your kids' relationship. Um, but the key points from today's podcast. For me, it's to remember that when dealing with conflict, the best strategies to use are ones that build connection and allow space for your kids to release any emotional tension they've got. And if they, you can do that, they will feel connected and they'll be able to think well. And when they feel connected, they'll be able to get along with their siblings and they'll be able to solve their disagreements easily. Fair enough. And you use that word connection a few times. That's a very important word, obviously. Yeah, it's it's so important. And we really underestimate what that means and how it's it's really like the magic ingredient in making families go well. Fantastic. Rachel, thank you for your time again. We're back uh, for another podcast uh, soon, Giggle Games. I can't wait for that one. Yeah, it's a goodie. I look forward to it too. Yeah, we all need a good laugh. <laughs> Thanks, Rachel. Thanks, David.